Welcome to today's podcast, Casting Down Idols. This is the podcast where we talk about addictions and recovery from a biblical point of view. I'm your host, Pastor Mike Dixon, and I'm addressing the problem of addictions from my own personal experience, but most importantly, from a biblical perspective. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, shopping, gambling, or overeating, or whatever struggle you may be facing, I want you to know there's hope for change. It's my prayer that through this podcast, you'll pick up some tools and encouragement that will enable you to live addiction-free. I've been clean and sober now for 31 years, and you can too. Whatever it is that binds you doesn't have to bind you any longer. So let's learn, grow, let's encourage one another on this road called recovery. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number seven of the podcast, Casting Down Idols. Today, we're going to be examining the popular 12 steps, which is the most popular model in addiction recovery groups. We're going to discuss where they originated, a little bit of the history behind them, what they are exactly, how they parallel with the Word of God, and how they can be applied to your life in a very practical way. Before I begin today, let me take a minute and thank you for listening to this episode, as well as the previous episodes. If you haven't done so already, go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and then each Tuesday, once an episode is released, you'll get a notification about that new episode. And you may also leave a review there on iTunes or rate this program if you'd like to with the five-star system. I'm your host, Mike Dixon. Although I'm a licensed clinical addiction specialist on the associate level in the state of North Carolina, as well as a pastor with a Master of Divinity degree with biblical counseling, I do not consider myself to be an expert on the subject of addiction recovery. I do, however, know that the power of God is able to deliver you from whatever it is that holds you captive. God delivered me from drugs and alcohol over 30 years ago. My burden and my heart's desire is to reach out and help other people that are struggling under addiction. There is a way out. You can listen to my story in episode number two if you haven't listened to it already. Also, there's a couple of videos on my personal website. That website is PastorMichaelRDixon.com. You can access those videos there that tells a little bit of my story and how the Lord delivered me. Also, remember my book is in publication, Casting Down Idols Through the Power of the Gospel. You can find it on Amazon.com, as well as, again, my personal website, PastorMichaelRDixon.com, and a variety of online bookstores. I know that God changes people. You don't have to stay the way that you are. Let me begin today with a couple of my favorite passages of Scripture on this subject. First is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. As the Apostle Paul writes, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Yeah, that passage is telling me right there, I don't have to stay the way that I am. That passage reminds me that I can put the past in the past, that I don't have to be identified with my past failures, that I can be a new creation. In fact, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. We need to walk in that truth. And then there's another one of my favorite passages on this topic in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. I'm going to read three verses, 9 through 11. Paul writes again, and he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this. Here's the good news. He's gone through that list of habitual lifestyle sins, addictions, if you would. He's writing to the church at Corinth. He's saying these type of people you're not going to find in heaven, thieves and covetous and all these sexual sins, drunkards, which is a picture of all substance abuse disorders. But then he gets to verse 11. Here's the good news. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. You know, the Bible reminds us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's not changed. So the same God that was able to deliver our brothers and sisters in Christ so long ago at the church at Corinth, and many of them used to be caught up in all these addictions that Paul mentions here, but they were set free from it. God is still in the business of setting the captive free. He's still in the business of breaking chains. He's still in the business of transforming people. Revelation 21, verse 5, Jesus is speaking. He says, Behold, I make all things new. I'm thankful that God is still in the business of transforming us into people that we otherwise never could become. I'm also thankful for the many resources God's placed around us to help us to walk in the life that God's promised us and God wants us to have. As you know, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said that he came to give life and to give it more abundantly. And so when I talk about the resources around us that God's provided for us, I know that God wants us to have an abundant life. And that's not just life forever, but that means a full life here now, an abundant life right now, right where you are. And there's so many resources we have at our disposal today to aid us in that endeavor. I believe the 12 steps is part of that structure. So let's consider the 12-step model today together. The 12 steps generally are defined as a system of recovery that focuses mainly on two things, spiritual growth and support from peers. It is a support system where those within the group encourage one another. Of course, AA is one of the most popular models. That's actually where the 12-step program originated over 80 years ago, so it's been around for a long time. Since that time, there's been many other organizations and support groups that have sprung up and have used the 12-step model to some degree. The very first 12-step program originated in 1935, right after the Prohibition movement from 1920 to 1933. Just a little history from that time in the early 1920s, the Protestant churches rose up and wanted to do something about the growing alcoholism in society. So many people were having diseases of the liver and other problems because of excessive alcohol consumption. The church rose up and wanted to fight against this problem. Crime seemed to be increasing. And so this led to the Prohibition Movement, which began in 1920 and lasted until 1933. And the reason why the Prohibition ended was mainly because criminal gangs began to sell and produce and import alcohol in the midst of the prohibition. And so society rose up and said the prohibition really is hurting us because it's causing crime to increase. That led to the 18th Amendment, which was passed on December the 5th, 1933, ending the prohibition of alcohol in our country. And so as the prohibition ended in 1933, of course, alcohol consumption skyrocketed, which led two years later, 1935, to the creation of the first 12-step program, 
which we know as Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, before the creation of the 12-step program and Alcoholics Anonymous, the main way that society dealt with alcoholics were to throw them in jail. One of my favorite shows I used to watch growing up was the Andy Griffith Show. Remember how Otis would come in and sleep in the cell? That's how society dealt with alcoholics. There really was no help offered them. They were actually penalized for their addictions. There was basically two approaches in dealing with drunks or alcoholics prior to 1935. And again, that was either to incarcerate them or if their physical problems were so severe, they were hospitalized. One gentleman who was hospitalized for his alcoholism was a man who was known as Bill Wilson. His given name was William Griffith Wilson. He was hospitalized in December of 1934 because of his excessive drinking. During his hospital stay, Wilson had an encounter with God that forever changed his life and removed his desire to want to drink. As he recovered and was finally discharged from the hospital, Wilson began to reach out to others who were struggling with the addiction of alcoholism to give them hope. One of his earliest converts was a man by the name of Dr. Robert Holbrook Smith, known as Dr. Bob. Together, these two men co-founded Alcoholics Anonymous on June the 10th, 1935. Just a few years later, Wilson and Smith would publish a book, Alcoholics Anonymous, which contained the 12 steps, this spiritually based peer support group model for recovery of those dealing with alcoholism. I believe these two men show us a biblical model as God delivers us from struggles and our own personal demons. We have an obligation to reach out to others who are struggling where we once were to give them the hope that God has given us. I thought about what's recorded in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. It says, to whom much is given, much will be required. I have found it so true in my own life that God is big enough not only to use my present and my future for his glory, but God is big enough even to use my past, my failures, my struggles, even the sin of the past. God is big enough to transform those things into a useful tool that God can use now in my life. Just think about who better to talk to someone or counsel someone who's going through a divorce than someone who's been through a divorce. Who better to reach out to an alcoholic than somebody who once was an alcoholic. Who better to reach out to a drug addict than someone who has been recovered from drug addiction. And the list goes on. Think about whatever it is that God has delivered you from. And remember the scripture I just read from the Gospel of Luke. Much has been given to you, but much is required from you in return. Let us be diligent as reaching out to those who are struggling, that they may find the freedom and deliverance and forgiveness that we have experienced. I don't want to get too bogged down with the history of the 12 steps, but I do want to say this. Initially, the 12 steps were six principles that were laid down that were transformed over a period of a few years in the beginning stages to be the 12 steps as we know them today. Initially, the 12 steps were more God-focused and biblically based than the 12 steps as we know them today. And the reason being is that Bill Wilson wanted to reach more people, even those outside of the faith and outside of the church and outside of Christianity. And so a lot of the wording was changed within the 12-step program. For example, members talk about spirituality more than they talk about religion. They talk about sobriety more than they talk about salvation. Wrongdoing is the term that's used other than sin. They talk about admitting and not necessarily confessing. And all this was in an attempt and not to turn away lost people or to turn off lost people to come into the program, but to encourage all to come to seek help and recovery. 
Now well over 80 years old, the 12-step program has helped no doubt thousands, maybe millions of individuals overcome their struggle with alcohol addiction. But it is good and I think even necessary for us as believers, as Christians, to make sure that whatever model we're looking at or whatever type of structure we're entering into for help and discipline in our lives in this topic of recovery, that it's biblical, that it lines up with what God says in his word. And I go back to where we began this episode on the note that God creates in us a new creature. We're not who we used to be. Maybe you've heard the term dry drunk before. That's simply referring to someone who's addicted to alcohol, who is not drinking, who is dry, but yet they're living a miserable, depressed, discouraged life because it's a constant struggle for them to fight against the temptation to go back and to drink. It's rather interesting today that so many support systems, so many 12-step programs today seem to emphasize that more so than becoming a new creation. And Bill Wilson, one of the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, again over 80 years ago, from his personal experience and his encounter with God as he was in a hospital, testified many times that God removed that desire from him to drink. And so Bill Wilson, from that point in time, was not recovering, but he had recovered past tense. In fact, the disease model that we hear so much about today related to addictions, that addiction is a disease. That whole concept was foreign to Alcoholics Anonymous from the very beginning. Bill Wilson, in fact, to use the term disease, he would say that alcoholism was like a disease. And that term like is very important there in the statement that he would make. He would say alcoholism addiction is like a disease. And now over the last several years, really, that has been transformed. And now it's no longer addiction is like a disease. Now it's addiction is a disease. And I'm not here to split straws or to be at odds with any program, especially the 12-step programs that are out there. I thank God for the help that they're offering people and for the many, many lives that have been changed and delivered from addictions and alcoholism. To God be the glory. But I know from my personal experience, just like the late Bill Wilson would testify today, and you can talk to him when you get to heaven if you trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't have to stay the way you are. It doesn't have to be a lifetime struggle for you to keep wanting to go back into the old life. Not when you put your faith in Christ and allow him to transform you and to change you. You're not the person you used to be. Now, in these next few minutes, what I want to do is I just want to go through the 12 steps with you. And I want to show you from God's word the biblical parallels to the 12 steps. And so I'm going to give you the historic 12 steps. And then out beside them in parallel, I want to give you the Christ-centered 12 steps. The first step in the 12-step program reads like this, and this is from Alcoholics Anonymous. The first step, step one, we admitted we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. That ties right in with scripture. I thought about Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Listen to God's word. It says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Paul's writing there in Romans chapter 7, and he's simply saying, you know, it's so easy for me to do what's wrong and so hard many times for me to do what's right. This very first step is all about humility and surrender and understanding I've got a problem that needs to change and I don't have the power in me to meet this need. Step number two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now, this step has everything to do with looking to God for the help that we need. 
And so the very first step, I understand I got a problem. And in humility and surrender, I confess I don't have the power to meet this need. And step two, I'm motivated to look to the higher power. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Instead of just simply believing in a power that's greater than ourselves, as believers, as Christians, we come to believe that Jesus Christ has a power greater than we do to deliver us from our struggles. Step number three in the historical 12-step program reads like this made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Now, step number three has to do somewhat with repentance. That's a change of direction. I thought about something Jesus said. It's recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So our understanding of God can't just simply be left up to us. We've been given a book from God, the Holy Bible, through which we know Jesus, and through Jesus we know God. In fact, there's no way to know God other than coming through Jesus. I would restate this step three as as simply saying this. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him in his son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Bible. Step number four. The 12-step program states step number four as made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. That means taking an honest look at our own struggles, our own hearts, our own lives. And I would agree with that step just as it's worded. I thought about Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 5 where Jesus is teaching and warning us about judging others. And he says, why do you try to take the small speck out of your brother's eye? You remember this? Why do you try to take the small speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a beam in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, examine your own heart. Deal with the log in your own eye before you try to remove the small speck, the sin, the failure in another person's life. In the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 40, it tells us, Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Step number five in the 12-step program reads, This way, we have admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Oh, listen, there's power in confession, confessing to God, but also confiding in someone that you can trust, that you can talk to about your past failures and your past struggles. In my own personal testimony, I share how for many years I kept things hidden within my heart, things that had happened to me and the way that I'd been sinned against even as a a child growing up. And when I reached a point where I began to disclose those things of the past, many of them very shameful, many of them embarrassing, many of them even heartbreaking, I found freedom and healing that I'd never experienced before. In the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's healing and power in confession. I like the way that step five is worded. We need to admit to God. We need to confess to God, but then we also need to confess to another person the pain and the things that we have hidden within. Step number six, the 12 steps reads, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Now, step number six has to do with honesty, openness, being real. And I believe we need to be real with one another. You know, we've got to come to a place where we are entirely ready to have God remove all our sins, not just some of them, but all of them. That's what it means when we say Jesus is Lord of our lives. He's the master. 
First John 1 9, God promises us if we admit and confess our sin, he'll forgive us. I love Psalm 103 verse 12. In talking about our sin, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions or our sins from us. God is able to forgive and remove our shortcomings, our sins. So we can see clearly in step number seven in the historical 12-step program how words have been changed in order to uh, not offend or push unbelievers or those outside the church away as our sins are called shortcomings. Step number eight, the 12-step program says it is, I have made a list of all persons I have harmed and have become willing to make amends with them all, making amends trying to rebuild bridges that have been torn down because of our past addiction and our past sin is part of the recovery process. In our life program at Oakdale Baptist Church, as we meet every week on Tuesday nights, we try to encourage those as part of their recovery to go back and try to right some of the wrongs. You know, sometimes that's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so many times God opens the door for reconciliation and for healing to take place. And so we've got to do our part in that process to try to make right our wrongs, to try to reconcile with those that we've hurt and we've harmed because of our past actions. Jesus says, as recorded in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. You know, I think about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, when he met Jesus. Remember, he climbed up in a tree and Jesus passed by. Jesus ended up going home with that little short sinner that day, and he ended up being saved, he and his whole household. And the Bible says immediately Zacchaeus went out and begin to right his wrongs. That's part of recovery. Let's continue moving through the 12 steps. We're on step number nine. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step number nine is a follow-through from step number eight in this practice of reconciliation, making right our wrongs of the past. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. He says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is clearly telling us there in Matthew chapter 5 that if we've got something between us and somebody else that needs to be made right before we come to the Lord and offer a sacrifice or an offering to him, we need to go to that brother and sister and we need to reconcile with them. Step number 10, the next step, reminds us that it's an ongoing process, that we've got to stay alert. Let me read it. Step number 10 from the 12 steps. We have continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. This is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time event, but it's got to be an ongoing, continual pattern of thinking and dealing with our own failures and sins. Remember, pride comes before fall. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Be alert, my friend. Don't let your guard down. Even though I don't believe I'm a recovering drug addict or a recovering alcoholic, I believe I have recovered by God's grace. I've still got to be on guard because I know I've got a sinful heart. And just like any sin, temptation comes upon us, and we've got to make a continual daily choice. Am I going to give in to the temptation, or am I going to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? and live my life in a way to bring honor to God. Step 11 says, We have sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand Him, praying only for knowledge for His will for us and the power to carry it out. I know according to the Bible, the only way to draw closer to God is through Jesus Christ, who stood one day and said, I'm the door. you got to come through me if you're going to come to the Father. There's no other way to come to the Father. 
What are you doing right now to feed your spiritual life, to grow through prayer and meditation on the Word of God? Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Church involvement, support groups, Bible-based support groups that can help you in your focus in renewing your mind with the truth of God, for it's the truth that sets us free to draw closer to God through His precious Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then the final step in the 12-step program is having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Now, again, these 12 steps that I'm reading to you today are the historical 12 steps as they're used in AA programs today. Many other 12-step programs are relating to drug addiction or whatever the struggle may be. A lot of times they're reworded. So the 12th step talks about a spiritual awakening. You know, I would say having been led by the Holy Spirit through a revelation of Jesus Christ, we have experienced spiritual conversion, not just an encounter or an awakening, but a conversion as a result of these steps. And we strive to carry forth the message, the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. This 12th step reminds me of evangelism. We should be reaching out to those and helping those around us. You know, the best way for you to get a blessing today is to reach out and to be a blessing to somebody else. We've got an obligation to one another to help one another on this journey, even to correct one another when we get off track and we need correction. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. One way we can carry one another's burdens is by praying for one another, being real with one another, sharing with one another the hope of their recovery based on our experience, what's worked for us. And we've got an obligation as we've been healed and delivered to share that good news with those around us. In the AA program, they've got a saying concerning the 12 steps. It works if you work it. It works if you work it. You know, the Bible says faith without works is dead. And in the last episode, we talked about many passages of Scripture that I have promises from God, but they're conditional. We've got a human responsibility. God makes a promise, but we've got a responsibility in order for that promise to come to pass. Just like with salvation, you've got a responsibility to put your faith and put your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then God promises if you do that, your sins are forgiven. When you receive that free gift from God, your sins are forgiven and removed again as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up again. I am so thankful today for God's grace and God's power that's active in our lives to transform us. I'm also thankful for you. I'm thankful for one another, and I'm reminded through groups like AA and support groups and 12-step programs that we weren't designed, we weren't created by God to be independent creatures. We're dependent. We're dependent upon God, but we also need one another, especially in this area of recovery. God never meant for us to do it alone. In fact, I remember in the very first book in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, how God created everything in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested from his creation. At the end of every one of those days, those six days, you know, the Bible says that God spoke and he saw what he created and he said it is good until he got to the sixth day. And at the close of that day, instead of speaking a benediction, which really means to speak a blessing, he spoke a malediction and he didn't say it is good, but he said it's not good. You remember what's not good? It's not good for man to be alone. 
God's answer to that problem was the creation of Eve. So God never meant for us to do it alone. So I want to encourage you today at the close of this episode to put your faith in Christ, to look to God. But then I want you to find brothers and sisters in Christ who are also looking to God, who can come along aside you and that you can come along aside of to help them and encourage them in their walk of recovery. And it's interesting in the Bible that our Christian lives are referred to as a walk and not as a rest. Sanctification, our change, our growing to become better people and the people that God wants us to be, it's an ongoing process. It takes hard work. It's got to be diligence on our part and commitment on our part. It's not going to happen by accident. And one of the biggest resources that God has placed around us to help us in this transformation and this recovery is interconnectedness with one another. You know, over and over again in the Bible, let me just throw out these verses quickly to you as I close up this episode. In John chapter 13, verse 14, it says, wash one another's feet. In Romans 12:10, be kindly affectionate to one another. Again, in Romans 12:10, giving preference to one another. In Romans 12:16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Romans fourteen thirteen. do not judge one another. James four eleven. do not speak evil of one another. Romans fourteen nineteen. edify one another. Romans fifteen seven. receive one another. Romans fifteen fourteen. admonish one another. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty five. care for one another. That term one another is over and over and over again in the Bible. Again, God never intended for you to do it alone. And so I pray you'll be encouraged today. If you're not part of a local church, I pray that you'll find a Bible-believing local church that you can get plugged in alongside brothers and sisters in Christ who are striving to live for the Lord and to bring honor and glory to Him. Number two, I hope that you set aside a time every day that you can get in God's Word and you can pray and you can spend time alone with God, speaking to God, but also listening to God as He speaks to your heart. Donald Whitley, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, says this, There is simply no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and meat of the Word. Get in the Word of God. Number three, surround yourself with godly people. I mean, if you're constantly associating with people from your old life, they're going to end up dragging you down. Psalm 119 verse 115 says, Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Over and over again, the Bible warns us about the company that we keep. And so get around godly people. I encourage you to find a good biblically-based Christian support group ministry that you can get involved in. And then lastly, find somebody who can hold you accountable. Accountability is an uncomfortable topic for so many to speak of. But you need those around you who are going to hold you accountable. People that you can trust. People that you can confide in. People that you can be honest with about your struggles. People that you can be real with. Again, James 5.16 that talks about confessing your trespasses one to another and praying for one another that you may be healed. God never created us and intended that we try to do this thing called life on our own. He gives us all that we need. He surrounds us with brothers and sisters in Christ, people that are struggling just like we are. None of us are any better than anybody else. We're here to encourage one another, help one another. Even when it's needed to correct one another, all in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the wisdom of the word, I trust that you'll do that. Let me pray with you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for reminding us, Lord, today that you have not created us to be independent creatures. Lord, we are not on an island all by ourselves. We've got people all around us. 
We've got a responsibility in that to encourage and to help and even correct one another. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to be diligent in this matter according to your word, according to your truth. I pray, Lord God, you would encourage us, help us to be an encouragement to those around us. I thank you for the transformation, for the victory that you give us, that we don't have to stay the way that we are. Thank you, Lord, for creating in us that new creation, and to God be the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Once again, thank you for tuning in to this episode today. I encourage you to go to iTunes and subscribe to the broadcast. And so you can get a notice each Tuesday as a new episode is released. I want you to pray for one another. Go to your Facebook page, your Instagram, your Twitter, ever how you'd like to stay connected to your friends and share this podcast. Let's get the word out that there is hope for change. And just like God has delivered me, he wants to deliver you. Have a blessed week this week. I pray that you'll stay focused on the one who is your life. His name is Jesus Christ. Spend time alone with him. Don't forget to drop me an email if I can help you in some way. Pastor Mike at obcbaptist.org. If you've got a prayer need, a suggestion, something you'd like to see in an upcoming episode, please let me know your thoughts. Lord bless you this week. Won't you stay focused? Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Pray for me. I'll be praying for you. Until next week, God bless.